Hi there, I'm Jen Blandos, the founder of Female Fusion. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years with experience in building seven-figure businesses and working around the world. Originally, I'm from Canada, but I've been living in Dubai for the past 14 years. I've created this podcast to share my insights and expertise as a global entrepreneur and help other women start, build, grow, and scale their businesses. You'll also hear from some of the world's top experts and female entrepreneurs who will inspire and motivate you to achieve your business goals. So join me as we explore all that the world has to offer and build the business of your dreams. Let's get started. Welcome to the Women on the Rise podcast, and we are here in the Podster Studios having a podcast lunch party because we are celebrating that we have interviewed more than 30 female entrepreneurs from Female Fusion who are sitting in the Podster Studios with us tonight, and we are celebrating everyone who's taken part, and we are having one very last special interview. And I am sitting here this evening with Hazel Jackson, who is the founder of Biz Group. And Hazel is a female entrepreneur who I very much look up to. And she has been so supportive of me and Female Fusion. And I thought, if there's anybody that I want to interview <laughs> um, in front of all of our amazing members, it's Hazel. Because no pressure. No pressure <laughs> at all. <laughs> but Hazel has so much wisdom that I would love to share, not only with everybody here this evening, but also to our listeners that will be listening to the recording after. Fantastic. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. I'll do my very best. You will. Well, you said for people who are listening that you said to me that no questions are off limits and I can give you tough questions. So I'm looking forward to that challenge. No problem at all. I might not be able to answer them, but I'll do my best. All right. So... Before we kick off, um, not everybody knows you or who you are. Maybe you could tell everybody just a bit about you and your background. Sure. I came to Dubai 30 years ago this year and started my business when I was under 26. That's all I'll say. Um, and I had $700. That's how I started. That's how I funded. That's the famous story that everybody remembers. Um, and it's taken a long time, 30 years this year, but we have a really successful business. I have a team of over 60 employees. Uh, we are expanding into Saudi Arabia and it's been an exciting journey, but there's been bumps, but I've learned all the way um, just really to build this business and be passionate about it. So I'm really honored to be here, and I'm excited to learn everyone else's story, too. Oh, thank you. Um, you you've grown Biz Group a lot. You know, as you said, that you came here with $700 and you built the business. What do you attribute? Because I hear this a lot from female business owners who say, like, how do I grow? What's the secret to growth? How can I do that? What are your secrets to how you manage to scale BizGroup to such a large organization? So I'm, I'm going to try and do things in threes because as okay. I was thinking about what you might ask me, probably there are only three things that really help me scale the business. But um, the first is having a very clear purpose why you actually want to build this business. Uh, um, and it's not about money and it's not about fame and it's not about what I thought was going to be longer lunches. There's never any of those. Um, it's actually about having a purpose that drives you 
to stay in the business that you start. And maybe you'll morph and you'll change. But I started Biz Group and I knew I wanted to enrich the lives of others through learning. So we're a learning and development consultancy firm. And we now will be learning and development and learning technology because things have moved on. But I knew very, very early on that I wanted to see the light bulb go off in other people's heads and I wanted to help them go home from work and maybe they were, maybe they got a promotion, maybe they were just more satisfied with their job. Maybe they were a nicer parent or a nicer parent to teenagers or they were just somebody better because they had some insight from one program, one experience that we'd done with Biz Group. And so the first thing for me is that purpose started in 1993 has not changed at all in 30 years. And that's the first thing I, I recommend that people do. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, as well, even talking about that, getting clear on kind of your why for your business. So many entrepreneurs don't have that. And because they don't have that, it makes it very challenging to grow your business. I think it sounds pink and fluffy, but it actually isn't. It's the yeah. absolute core. And the reason why you need it is not when the times are great, not when the business is coming through, not when the customers are delighted or the deliveries are working or the dogs are turning up to your park or whatever else it might be. It's when it's not. Yeah. It's when it's a bad day. It's when it's an unhappy customer. It's when it's an annoying employee or whatever else it might be. That's when you need your purpose. Yes. And so the time to do it is when times are good. Yeah. Not start asking yourself the question <laughs> or wonder what my purpose is when it's all going a little bit haywire. Yeah. And so your why is the first one. What yeah. are the other two? The second one was a big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm. So this is a Jim Collins term. If you haven't read the books, good to great. Um, I built my business on reading. So this is how I know what I know. And I read and I tried and I read and I tried and I failed and I read another book and I kept going. Um, and Good to Great was one of those great standard um, books. A big, hairy, audacious goal is a target that's at least 10 years from now. And the reason why it's 10 years is because no one can debate you. Right. You know, your partner, your husband, your friends, your business colleagues can't say that's not possible. Anything's possible in 10 years. Yeah. The next reason is, is that it should challenge you to greatness. So it shouldn't be something you can calculate and work out how to do, okay? And in that whole nature, and it should align with your purpose. So it's challenging you to do something you don't know how to do, and it's far enough out that it actually feels like, well, maybe. And yeah. so we set our first BHAG. Actually, I only set my first one in 2009 and achieved it in 2017. And it was to impact a million people. And, and about, you did that early. You got it done. Well, in. we we got it on the 16th of October, uh, 2017. So I, I say that's what two and a half months earlier than the original <laughs> deadline. But um, at about three years before that goal, we were nowhere near. Yeah. It was it was I don't know. It was maybe a quarter of the way up. This we got this big tube in our office, which is counting all the people we're impacting, and we were we weren't even close. And the best thing, and the reason why I think it's important to have a big, hairy, audacious goal, is it challenges you to think about what you need to do differently, not just what you need to do more of. And so at that moment, I spotted a piece of technology in the market. 
in 2014. And I thought, this is the future of the learning and development industry. And so I acquired the rights for the Middle East region. And it's because of that decision that pushed me out of my comfort zone that enabled us to hit our BHAG. And so it's meant to challenge you to do something different, not more of the same. And that's what it's done. We now have one for 10 million. So the team are all scrabbling around figuring out what we do next. <laughs> I look forward to hearing when you hit that. You Absolutely. Will. Okay, so we've got the big, hairy, audacious goal. We've got purpose. purpose. People. Yes. Okay, so um, I started by myself with a typewriter. And then it's all about the people decisions. And if you're a really small business, and I was to begin with, I was one, and then there was a second person, and you needed to buy a computer, you know, a fax machine. Those were the days. Um, and it's all about the talent that you can bring on board. And I couldn't afford really senior executives then. So my business was founded by finding smart, capable women who were above my pay grade, but were prepared to work for me for half time, yeah. for part time, to come in three days a week because they were returning to work. They were a financial advisor, who, a financial manager, who was way above what I needed for my business, but would help shape the way that we could cost and price and do things differently. Same in marketing, same in sales. And so if you're a small business and you're looking to grow, hire the best talent you absolutely can, even if the means they only work for you half a day. Yeah. You'll get way more than if you're perhaps paying for what you can fully afford. And you know, I have this argument as well with, with business owners sometimes that sometimes they feel that it's better to get somebody as cheap as possible um, and you know, almost feel like they've had a win because they get somebody really, really cheap. And I'm like, why, why would you want to do that? Because you are going to be consistently frustrated that that person doesn't have the skills that you need in your business. If you can only afford this amount of money, get them one day a week or two days a week, and you will have much stronger results. You're spot on, because I think the component of, as you're a small business, I've got over 60 people now, so the, the, the numbers are different, and some of the pain points are different, and some of the joys are different. But when you're expanding to number two, number three, number four, your number one job as an entrepreneur is to say, what can I let go of? If I'm going to let go of the finance or the bookkeeping, then I'm going to hire somebody who's smarter and more capable than me at doing that. Not yeah. somebody cheaper, not somebody I need to manage, not somebody I need to stand over their shoulder, somebody that can now take that away so I can grow this bit. If I'm going to get somebody in marketing, I'm not doing the marketing. They're doing the marketing. And so you've got to trust that you're prepared to let go. So if I were to give you the biggest secret to me scaling my business was getting out of the way of great people. This is what so many people struggle with as well, right? And I hear this, uh, we have a seven-figure circle within Female Fusion, and we had this conversation with a number of our seven- and eight-figure businesses a couple of weeks ago that to him was something that they struggle so much with, and so many businesses are feeling that it's their barrier to growth that they're not getting the right team? So I think there's a couple of things. First of all, in order to get to, I think it's about 10 or 15 people, you have to be capable of doing every job in your company. Yeah. Okay? So you learn this, this um, capability. You actually know how to do everything. And so that's why I say then as you start to let go, even if you know how to do the finance, but you can hand that over, let go. 
Yeah. I think, so, so the next component that you have is as you start to bring more and more people on board, you want to be over-helpful. You want to rescue them. You want to jump in with your ideas. You want to, you want to solve the problems. You want to be involved in the fun stuff because that's why you started the business in the first place, <laughs> right? to do all the bits that you like. But in reality, my, that might not be the job that you need to scale. I have done, even though I'm the founder of the company, over the years, I've changed my role significantly depending on what the business needed most at that time. Sometimes I needed to be in general management. Sometimes I needed to be a consultant. Sometimes I needed to go back into CEO or general management role. And it's not always what I enjoy most, but it's how do you scale it to the next level so you yeah. can find the next team to yeah. do it. But we are our own worst enemy. And so it's not that the team's bad. I would always ask you to look in the mirror and say, have I hired this person to do a job and am I allowing them to do the job or do I only want them to do the job the way I would do the job? And oftentimes they might do it differently, but sometimes... Or better. And better. That's what I was going to say. They're going to do it better a lot yeah. of times as well. Focus on running the business. But even if you... So somebody once said to me, and I forget, sorry, I'm shamelessly stealing your idea. He said, even if the people do... The, the team do it to 80 or 90% of your capability. Yeah. It's still being done. Correct. And you can go spend somewhere, your time somewhere else. So this perfectionist nature that we all have eventually means that people don't like working for you. Yes. Okay? And, but did you find that in the beginning when you had your business? Because I found that, like, if I look back, I was a terrible boss in, in the beginning because I, everything had to be perfect and it had to be done to such a high standard. And it was just so liberating to let go of that and go, eh, 80% is okay. <laughs> yeah, and give people feedback on that. That's yeah. good. So I learned this. A pivotal moment was 2010. I read a book, told you my business was built on books, by Liz Wiseman, and the book was Multipliers. And that is the book that changed the way I lead because it highlighted to me I was the problem, not yeah. the rest of my team. But uh, you, you mentioned another point that I think is really interesting. One of the things that I found when I spoke with all of our, our members, especially the ones that had the bigger seven and eight figure businesses, every single person attributed part of their growth as well to continuous learning. Mm -hmm. and, and I see that that's a real difference between maybe smaller businesses and the seven and eight figure businesses is that the seven and eight figure business owner is like, what can I learn? I want to learn everything. I want to upskill. I want to upskill my team. And a lot of them attribute that to their success and growth as a business as well. I, look, I think there's so many different routes. You can now yeah. listen to podcasts. You can yeah. watch videos. I filmed the other day um, as part of a book, um, a lit video, which again is now a one hour video version of a book. So if you're not a reader, don't be put off by me saying reading. The point was, I was open to other people's thinking, authors, um, other business owners. Yeah. And sometimes actually it was recommended again um, to me was read autobiographies. If you don't actually like reading a business book, because sometimes after chapter two, you've kind of like got it, that's okay, read to chapter two. But also autobiographies inspire you. Mm. Um, actually pick those up and figure out how people went against challenges, had more resilience, solved problems. Um, that can be just as inspirational and, and yeah. idea generating for you as a, as a business owner. 
persona. And it's just having that space to let your brain slow down from the business stuff to be able to get that inspiration to, to come up with the ideas as well. And it's like exercise. I have been told that going once a year is not sufficient. I think that's outrageous. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> Just like that, reading one book a year is no. not sufficient or listening to one podcast. Find your, but find what works for you. Don't grind out a book. If a book doesn't inspire, pick up the next one. Um, if a podcast isn't getting you there, listen yeah. to the next one. And so I think for me, it's about finding your groove. Yeah. But learning for me didn't just teach me things about my business. It meant my brain was open. And therefore, the next, somebody walks into your office and says, I've got an idea. You're actually open already because right. of the way you've been learning yeah. to listen to that idea, whether it's good or bad. You're more open. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I found as well over the past couple of years that I, I dedicate an amount of hours every single week to either doing an online course or reading something or watching YouTube videos or watching a masterclass or taking part in something just because it gives me that yeah. inspiration. And I found that it's made me a, a better entrepreneur as a result of doing that. And forgive yourself. So I am going to say to people right now, that sounds like, can sound like, oh my goodness, how, you know, I've got to read a book a month. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Just start small, 20 minutes of positive yeah. input a day is actually all you need to start feeding in stories about what other people have done. Yeah. Don't watch the stories about how other people have failed, although that can be useful. You want something <laughs> inspirational, maybe about your industry. So just 20 minutes of input, of positive input a day, I think can slowly start to change uh, your thinking. Um, when we look at things like risks, as we're building our business, it's, it's a game of risks. We're constantly taking risks in business. And I think that's what sets apart entrepreneurs from not entrepreneurs because we're consistently doing those risks in our business. Has there been a risk that you've taken that has really paid off or hasn't really paid off in the business? So I think I would say my risk appetite is low. That's why it's taken me 30 years, and maybe somebody else would have built it in 10. I haven't borrowed a single dirham from a bank in the 30 years. I have grown um, organically, organically yeah. taking everything that we made and reinvesting it into the business. And that's maybe why we've slow and steady wins the race. But that's why we survived a Gulf War, 9-11, and COVID, because actually it was slow and steady, and cash was in the bank. Um, so I think I don't consider myself a big risk taker from a point of view of I'm putting it all out there on the table. But I have made big strategic risk moves by um, taking on board a software, uh, Exonify, and actually taking it on board probably four years before the market was ready. Going into virtual reality probably three years before the market was ready. Bringing on things which for me I thought, and I'm sure you've all been there as entrepreneurs, this is a sure thing. Oh, Everybody's yeah. going to buy this. Everybody's going to love this. This is just what the market needs. And then the market catches up about four years later. <laughs> and so the risks for me have always been about being clear on why I brought something in and how I think it can work and just waiting sometimes for the market to catch up because I am a little bit of an early adopter on bringing mm -hmm. things into our industry. Um, I've also made lots of mistakes and most of the mistakes I've made are on hiring somebody and believing that they were going to change 
and grow into what I'd hoped they would be when the early warning signs told me this is the wrong hire and waiting too long. That's the biggest risk I've take, taken. Yeah, it, that, that's one as well I think that I've learned over the years is because you want to be supportive and you want to provide training and you want to help that person flourish. One of our values is I believe anything is possible. Therefore, yeah. I believe this person with time, effort and support will grow to be this person, but they don't want to. Yeah. And so therein lies often the challenge. And it's not, we've got a fabulous team now and I've got great people that do the recruitment and they stop me making some mistakes because um, I believe in people. But, um, and that people can achieve the things even if it doesn't, it doesn't seem realistic. And some of that has paid off and some of it have been mistakes. And then actually that's not a mistake. The mistake but is holding on to the person for too long both for themselves and for your business, but more importantly, for all of the colleagues around yes. them who are now ha having this person that maybe doesn't fit yeah. um, and having to work around that. And I think sometimes as well that like, I, I hate having to let people go. For me, I really don't like that. But I've also realized as well that you're holding somebody back. Mm. If they're in a role, nobody likes to be doing something that they're not good at or they're continuously making mistakes in. And it just means that they're destined for working for a different type of industry or company or a completely different role. I don't know anybody that likes to let anybody go. It's yeah. an awful feeling because you make a... We now probably do, I don't know, six interviews before we make a decision to hire somebody. Six different stages. Why? Because we really don't want to make yeah. a mistake and we would rather last week fly somebody over from Saudi to really see whether they would fit with the culture than make a decision that might be something we have to change in six or, or, or 12 months time. And so I don't think anybody likes it, Yeah. but that's not a reason to keep somebody in the organization Definitely. that isn't having a good time either because people feel it. They know yeah. you're not satisfied. Don't know about you, but female entrepreneurs normally can, you can see it all over our faces when yes, we're not happy yeah. with someone. <laughs> I mean, one of the things, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I found as I've, as I've had more experience and I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years now that I really realized that I need to trust my intuition more. Mm -hmm. um, because you're, when I was younger, it was like, no, you know, my head is thinking this, my heart is that, and I would always go with the head. And the head oftentimes was the wrong decision. But if I felt it, those were the ones that were typically the right decision. And I found that with people as well, that when I kind of didn't feel it for whatever reason from my intuition, but, you know, on paper and all the interviews and everything else, those people never worked out. Yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? Look at we're human beings and, and I'm in the industry of helping people develop and grow. And so I genuinely believe people can develop and grow, otherwise my purpose is, is useless. But I think there's a really interesting question you can ask yourself, sorry, you can ask yourself, who would I enthusiastically rehire in your organization? Mm. And that's a very quick way and if you've got a team like me and I've got managers and managers who manage managers, then you're asking them the question, who in your team would you enthusiastically rehire? And it's a little bit of a, an opening question that, that people go, well, well, they're, they're good, but um, you've got to narrow people down. And you can always turn it the other way around. If somebody walked in and resigned tomorrow, who would you secretly walk around the sign and go, yes, 
<laughs> I think we've all had that, haven't we? So, so if those people are in your business and you're struggling, maybe it's time to free them and yeah. figure out either either they're not happy and you're doing something about it. So the first question would always be, am I getting in the way of this person being brilliant? Is it a Hazel problem, yeah. not a that person problem? If I've actually worked that out, can then I figure out the next step? Is there another job I can put them in? Is there another set of skills that they can learn? Or is it time for them to, to move on from this group? And, and then I think you absolutely need to do it humanely. You need to do it with care and respect. You need to make sure that they're safe in this country. There's all sorts of things that you can do to still actually be considered an employer of choice, even though it was time for them to leave your business. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Do you have a, a certain amount of time that you will give somebody to maybe, like, if it's not working, are you one of those people that's like, hire so far fast? No, I know the rule. <laughs> I'm useless at it. <laughs> we hire slow, we fire slow too. <laughs> uh, no, because I think we, because of the nature of our core values, yeah. it means that we believe people can grow. Then it's about good management feedback, it's about coaching, it's about putting people through a process. And I think that protects our culture, even though it might mean we're a little too slow in making some of those decisions, unless somebody's damaging their yeah. colleagues or the brand. But if it's just we got the wrong person in the wrong job, then we will try absolutely everything until we make that decision. Okay. So I know the rule, but I don't follow it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, what about, because you, as a business, you have grown significantly. Do you set KPIs in the business for measuring your growth and how yeah. you do that? Yeah, so we recently moved over to OKRs, so so objectives and key results, okay. um, just to try and create some clarity. But we've had KPIs for 28 years, so I'm happy to speak about either. I think the most important thing that we look at, so apart from everybody having clarity on KPIs, it's the way we present them. So we have a daily huddle at 8.58 every morning. And this has happened for 25 years, okay? And it happened through COVID virtually. Mm -hmm. And then it happened, um, it, now we go back a little bit in person at times. And a morning huddle does a number of things. First of all, it reflects on the three critical metrics that we can measure daily. In our business, we can actually look at the number of leads that are coming in, that might be the same for a number of people, yeah. the number of those that have converted into opportunities. So in mm -hmm. other words, and we look at the value of those opportunities. And then we look at the number of proposals that have been sent out. Okay. We also look at closes, but that for me is a lagging measure. Those other three measures are leading indicators. Now, because we look at that data every morning and it comes up on a screen straight from Salesforce for us, I see a trended line of how many leads are coming into the business. Now, it takes six data points to see a trend. So because we huddle every day for 10 minutes, we see the trend in a week. If you have a management meeting and you look at your numbers once a week, and it takes six data points to see a trend, you see it after six weeks. Or worse, you're just looking at your numbers once a month, yeah. and you see a trend after six months. I can see immediately after three days if our leads are down in comparison to last week. And so if your leads are down, um, is that then you've got a big push with the sales team to get out Well, it might be an indicator that there's something gone wrong with the website. It might be an right. indicator that somebody turned off Google Ads. It could be an indicator that, yeah, the phone's not working. I don't know, but the point is for me, I see the trend very early on and the team are all over it much quicker. 
And so whatever your leading metrics are around things, and we have a lot more than that, but those are just three that we look at every day. Um, I think the more frequently you look at them, the more action you can take to change the number. Yeah. So don't just look at your numbers at the end of the month. Right. Okay. I look at my numbers at the end of the month. Yeah. And <laughs> what does that tell you? Oh, rear view mirror. Awesome. Uh, well, no, actually, I have a spreadsheet that I use every month. We have a, a tracker. Right. I am looking at them. I am looking at them probably every second day. Okay. Um, so I do look at the numbers quite consistently, and we sit down as a team and talk about that regularly. But as uh, looking at trends month on month, and maybe that's mm -hmm. something interesting as well for us to look at that maybe it needs to be more frequently. I think an isolated number on a KPI doesn't tell you anything. It needs to be in a ratio. Right. It needs yeah. to be compared to something this time and, and it's really hard to do this time last year in this environment because of COVID not because of Ramadan and the, the years change yes um, but you can do this time last week this time last month you're looking to see any metrics that are leading metrics are we getting better or are we getting worse mm. and ideally when I say leading metrics I'm not talking about the money in the bank at the end of the month because you did something to get that. So what's the metric that tells you you're being successful on the activity yeah. or on the action or on the out, the immediate outcomes that will tell you looks like, I suppose it's like if you go to the doctor, they're going to take your blood pressure. They also weigh you uh, and other <laughs> things like, like that. that. You don't like that, <laughs> but they don't mind taking my blood pressure. They have some health metrics. What are the health metrics of your business? And my recommendation is not just you as the owner look at those every day. Everybody needs to see those every day because we need to understand every action we do mm. impacts the health metrics. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to look at our SME matrix. Everybody here in the audience is looking at me going, update that SME matrix now, Jen. <laughs> Want a different dashboard? <laughs> have to consult Hazel on that. No problem, sorry. More work. That was More not work. the intention. More work, it's okay. <laughs> um, one thing I would love to know as well, uh, a number of entrepreneurs who have scaled to seven and eight figures tell me that one thing that's been really useful for them as well is to have a coach. Have you had a coach? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, not a gym coach, obviously, but yeah. I've had a business coach all, pretty much all of my career. And I started that joining a group. If you can't afford an individual coach, join a community. Like that, female fusion. Exactly. <laughs> so I did that. I joined a community. You weren't around at the time. I joined yeah. a community. And that community became my guides, my coach. I think there's two types of people you need in that community. You need people that have built their business bigger than yours. And you need people that feel your pain. Yes. So you want to know peers who are going through the same experience right now, because it's all well and good me going, yeah, tax next year, amazing. My finance director, Dave's going to manage that. And you're thinking like, oh my goodness, I've got to figure it out for myself. Yeah. So you need peers who actually are at the same like-sized business as you, who can feel the pain, but you also need mentors or community that can be a, a level up. And so for that, when the community didn't work for me, I got a coach and I still have a coach now. My coach is based in um, Denver, Colorado. So like he's up at five in the morning and I'm on a call in, even, in the evening, but it's absolutely essential to have somebody that, that can help you grow your business. Yeah, I found that's been so useful for me as well. I've had a coach now for about three years mm -hmm. and I'm in a mas two masterminds actually. And that's, that's really helped me grow and scale Female Fusion as well. Absolutely. Well, why... We don't, people have done this before us. 
People have run a business like yours somewhere in the world before you. I am not the only person that has a learning and development and a learning technology business in the world. So I might as well learn from those that have done it already before me. Um, Have they done it in the Middle East? No. So then I need to be part of a community that understands this part of the world. So just surround yourself with with people that you can learn from. Um, I even... I even kind of do that in my social life as well. Not talk about business, but I want to be around people that maybe they're calmer people and they've just got a certain kind of like way of managing life. Maybe they're fitter people and they encourage me in this area. But I love being around people that have their own levels of success because that challenges me to keep being a better person. And it is so important to have, to set that environment, isn't it? To be surrounded by the people that is where you want to be or where you want to go as well because that really helps you get there. I always remember an acronym and it was on a, 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 a plaque on my desk in the early days and it was S-N-I-O-P, SNIOP, S-N-I-O-P. And it stands for being susceptible to the negative influences of other people. Yeah. And so in the early days, everybody thought $700 was not enough Who'd have known? Everybody thought maybe I needed to do a little bit more research or get a job or save some money or actually know what I was doing or any of those good pieces of advice um, that they were all giving me. But I kept looking at susceptible to the negative influences of other people and it was a barrier. I'm not going to let that stop me achieve my dreams. Be surrounded by the people who have the same mindset as you. You are building businesses because... Those people that are going to encourage you are going to be entrepreneurs a lot of times because they get what it's like. And maybe they failed at something you're yeah. just trying and you learn from their mistakes. Yeah. How gorgeous is that? Or maybe they're just there to cheer you on. And I yes. think that's why Female Fusion is such a great blessing that you brought to this region, Jen. Oh, thank you so much. Um, on that note, uh, I would like to open it up to our members who are in the room Ooh, to have a few questions on. from them. And I would like to know who's going to ask Hazel a challenging question. <laughs> Is there anybody in the room who has a question? We have the wonderful Marwan from Podster who's got a microphone. I think he's going to pass it around. Um, Stick your hand up. No if pressure. You have a question. Any question is okay. It's nothing worse than saying make it a hard question, Claire which does. means I'm not going to ask one. Okay. okay, we've got two Claire. over there. There we go. So, and if you could just, so everybody knows who's asking the question, if you could just introduce yourself and say your business as well. Hi, I'm Claire Napper um, from the High Life Vintage Posters. Um, when you first scaled up, how much money did you have kind of to do that? Um, or is it worth scaling up? with very little money to do that. (laughs) Okay, so I always, I scaled once I had probably to begin with three months operating cash in the bank. Now I would say six to nine months operating cash in the bank. Now that's a fair amount of money when you hire 60 people. So what you need to know is that any new idea that you're doing, maybe for six or eight months, it's not gonna give you a return. And so have you got enough to keep going, even if that investment doesn't give you anything back just yet. Um, And I think that's my advice I would say to any entrepreneur who is wanting to start, ambitious, wanting to start something, is have you got six to 12 months cash in the bank? Because people can smell you when you're nervous. And and you want to do a deal or whatever else, so they can actually sense 
the the oh my god, I just need this one, but it's I'm trying to look good. So so I think it's really important to have cash in the bank. It is it is the safety net. And let's be honest, when when COVID hit, the businesses that survived were the ones that either thrived in COVID because they happened to have picked the right business for that environment, or if it wasn't, the ones that had cash in the bank. Yeah. Um, survive for that reason so yeah it's hard and, and by the way i did try and borrow money once from a bank here but they wanted the same amount of money in a deposit so i didn't bother didn't work <laughs> <laughs> i won't mention the bank but i'm happy to name them all <laughs> uh, <laughs> we there have was a question here yeah question here lady in pink hi my, my name is priya telavne i have 361 degrees design solution interior design and fit out company so uh, my question is, how many hours in a day or in a week you give this to your business? Is there any secret that you should work for these hours? And <laughs> how long has your yeah. business been running? 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. Okay. But as you said, correctly mentioned that you started from one, two, and then uh, probably you started uh, giving to your responsibilities to your uh, people and the team yeah. so, so, and so you think you're gonna get that long lunch no people mean management the more people you hire the more sales you have to do the more people you have to manage the more customers you have to serve the bigger the business grows if you want to keep your margins if you don't want to make any money then you can hire as many people as you like but I will still work um, now I, I am very blessed now I will I have a great team and so I will tend to take a month off at a time or I'll go away for six weeks, or I'll go sailing for three weeks and switch my phone off. So I have the chance to do that, but when I'm working, and I would say the majority of the time, I'm doing an eight or nine hour day, and I'm doing five days a week, and then a top up at the weekend. But my tip for the top up at the weekend is if you're using Teams or Outlook, um, make sure that you send all of those messages so your teams only receive them at eight o'clock on Monday morning. Otherwise you create a spiral of I'm sending a message at the weekend and they're sending a yeah. message at the weekend and yeah. we're all working. And so I try now to say whatever I do at the weekend is purely for my own mental health to get ready for the week um, and time all those messages. So my team receive a lot at eight o'clock on a Monday morning. <laughs> Don't know whether it's kinder or not, but unfortunately, if you, if you want to scale your business, then you're just gonna work as hard, if not harder, than when you started. Okay, thank you. <laughs> if you wanna just maintain it at the same level and say, this is good, this is where I'm going, I think you can get a maintenance management team in that can start to maintain the business and you can reduce your hours, but not if you want to scale. Yeah, and then you start uh, thinking about the expansion. Go of to course, another you country. Got all the time on your hands, and you're yeah. like, yeah. Why not? I, I have a lot of time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, unfortunately, and look, I think some people have they do great jobs, and they and they kind of like they manage to work three hours a day, or they they manage to do their diaries in certain ways. I, I can't give you any advice on that. I've been absolutely useless, which is why Jim once a year is perfect. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Sorry, you. Sorry, Julie. I know you wouldn't let me do that. Do we have anybody else who has a question? We've got Veronique in the corner. Well, the mic's going to Veronique. I have a question for Ooh. you, Hazel. So you, this year you took some big holidays and you took time off. Were you able to fully switch off? Totally, 100%. And when you came back, everything was okay? Yeah. <laughs> the business runs and operates without me. 
Okay. The Perfect. business to scale, strategically scale and make the next moves. Thank I'm still you. very actively involved in helping the team make those decisions and when the decisions are tough, making them myself. Okay. So, so yes, but I, I love what I do and I love yeah. certain clients that I work with. And so I come back for some of that. But, you know, the company runs. Um, so when I'm back, I'm getting involved in scaling and what do we do next and you know, how do we move to the next level um, and how do we celebrate 30 years and learn how to build the next um, BHAG, okay, in less than the time frame that I've got left because it's that, looking hard. That's the dream, right? That we, we have to be able to let the business run by ourselves and we are going to have to exit it at some point as well. I, found, I had a conversation with one entrepreneur and she said to me, she's like, no, I'm never going to exit. I'm never going to sell my business. I was like, well, at some point you will <laughs> because <laughs> no, we all I, exit. I think you've got to make a decision. I think you might not want to let go of your baby and this is what you've grown and this is what you love and this is maybe even to a certain extent part of your identity. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's okay. The question really becomes, can it succeed without you? I don't want a legacy of when, for whatever reason, I can't run the company anymore. It doesn't carry on. Then I failed. Yes. It can't be all about Hazel Jackson. It has to be about Biz Group. And therefore, it isn't about me. It's about building a team and a company and a client um, database and, and all of these things and products and success that yeah. go beyond me and actually become what the company legacy is. And that's, that's such an amazing thing. I was talking to a friend who sold her business a few years ago and she's just finishing her earnout. And we, we met up last week and she said, do you know the best thing is, company doesn't need me. She's like, I'm gone in three months and the company's gonna be fine and I'm gonna go traveling. <laughs> and I don't think you need to, when you're ready, you make that decision. Yeah. The point is how you build the business is always with the intent then it can be done without you. you. Get run over by a bus or you need to go back to your home, my home country and look after my parents or something like that. I want to be able to know that the con company continues to run because it's not just me and my brand. 62 people's livelihoods depend on us doing business every month, making payroll. Mm. And we know here in this part of the world that they all look after families Yes. at home and so actually it's a much bigger responsibility than do I want to go on holiday and is it about my 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 plans it's actually how do you create something that sustains for everybody whose livelihood is part of the company Veronique so Veronique with uh, Creador um, creative agency and I have one question so you said and I think everyone really create the success uh, to the the successful story of every business is paved with failures and big bumps and, and huge lessons. Mm -hmm. So give you, can you give us an example of the bump that really, really taught you the biggest lesson in the business? What apart from COVID? <laughs> <laughs> apart from COVID. And not being able to do any business for three months. Um, I, w I will share a story on that because I think a big lesson did come out of it for me. But one of the ones I, I, I made a huge mistake, we were going to build a permanent team building center out near Babel Shams. And um, 
I hired some really great people that knew what they were doing. We put a business plan together. We were having great conversations with the, the people that owned the land and connected to the land. And everybody was excited at the time. It was a piece of desert that wasn't necessarily doing anything. Um, and I probably put about six months of my blood, sweat, and tears into trying to figure this out, only to find out really we weren't dealing with the right people who had the right waster uh. or the right knowledge to say yes. Um, and the whole thing kind of like unfolded and collapsed. And it was a big lesson for me to realize that I got carried away with the excitement of something before I did all of my homework around where I really needed to make a decision. But I will make, I will share that probably if, if we are to take the COVID example, I like many of your businesses, my business was all face to face. We were closed down um, in March, I think it was, when we were like, that's it, everything can't be run. And I had one weekend, and I remember my husband saying, oh, Hazel's depressed. And it was like he'd never noticed me actually being sad about anything. And I was like, I had one weekend, and I was like, don't, I'm not getting out of bed. I'm going to cry. I'm going to do all of this. And on Monday morning, I woke up, and he said, what do I need to do? And I said, nothing. I've got a plan. And the plan was I'd read a book. And in the book, it had told me that when the money stops coming in, you need to create the flow. So no money was coming into the business. And so we needed to create flow in that. So I needed to give away. And so I made a decision and we rang 100 of our clients and we said, we are going to give virtual training for a half day session. My whole team is going to learn how to do that. Because this was back at the point where they were going like, ah, virtual won't work. We'll just wait a few months until we're all back to normal. And so I galvanized the team. I said, we're giving away 100 sessions, salespeople, you need to get hold of clients. Don't give them away willy-nilly. They need to be given strategically. strategically. Yeah. Um, trainers, you need to learn how to deliver our content virtually. We rang all of our global business partners and we said, we're going to give this away for nothing, so we don't want you to charge us IP fees. But we And consultants get paid based on their delivery in my company, not a fixed salary. I was going to pay them anyway, even though there was no money coming in. And we created flow because everybody now had a target and they were busy and they were focused and they were delivering and they had value and something to give. And our clients were like, you're not making anything and you're gonna give us? I said, we're all exploring. You need to feel and your teams need to feel, are they gonna enjoy this? Yeah. And some of our biggest contracts during COVID came out of that giving at a moment where nothing was receiving. So I would always recommend create flow. A hundred million dollar offers, is that what you read? Yeah. That book, if anybody hasn't read that, is an exceptional book for any entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And there's a new one that's just come out as well called Million, $100 Million Funnels. Right. I don't know if you've heard Not about that yet. one. So that's, that's next on my list, but you have to special order it from America. Okay. Yep. Uh, oh, more oh. questions. There we go. Hi, my name is Minnie. Uh, I run an IT and management consulting business here. My questions talking about books my question is that uh, what would be your top three or top five book recommendations especially for women entrepreneurs okay so I'm gonna put multipliers up there because we're just as bad as the men um, in getting in the way of our team mm -hmm. I would say an easier book to read than good to great I'm gonna say how the mighty fall because it teaches you some of the mistakes that we can maybe fall into as a trap. And there's a great set of information around 
um, leadership and, and checking your leadership team uh, against a model in there. Um, the Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Don't know if you've read it. You might have read some of his smaller books, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, but The Advantage talks about how do you build a culture of organizational health. I think that's um, a really good book. Three, did you say, or do you want five? I think three is good. I'm looking three's at the, good. the time behind it, going like this. We're doing it in threes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we have time for one last question, and then we will finish. Who has one last question? Anybody in the back of the room? We've got to have another question. I told you this woman is a genius when it comes to business. No, so don't. ask her anything. Just got my cycling proficiency. That's it. Okay. We have no other questions. Wow. Okay. Uh, oh, Vuk has a question, actually. So I would... Oh, go, yeah, Vuk. Vuk is going to What jump a great business there, so. you've built. Let's... Yeah. yeah. Just uh, one simple question. How do you choose your salespeople? <gasps> oh, great question. The best salespeople I've had have got some kind of, and this is going to come across wrong, addictive personality. In other words, they're, they're triathletes or they're into their sports or they're, they've got a drive. So I would be asking a whole load of questions around what makes them overcome obstacles outside of work, not the ones inside work. So, yeah, they're... All of those people, they're just people that are so tenacious. Because I think sales is not about your ability to go out and have the conversation. Um, I think we can teach that. And I think we can teach how do you ask better questions so you can find out what's going on in the business. I think it's hard to teach drive. And I, therefore, I would look for it in their um, outside of work skills. Does that answer your question? Cool. <laughs> Amazing. Hazel, I want to thank you so much for, for coming here this evening and sharing your wisdom. You were on my top list of people to interview on the podcast anyway. I'm so honoured. Hopefully I haven't disappointed. <laughs> you have not. <laughs> and I also want to thank everybody as well who has been part of our project um, in Female Fusion because it's just been so beautiful to get to know our members and to hear about their stories. And... There were some tears that were shed in some of the interviews. There was lots of laughter. There was lots of wisdom. And that I'm so grateful for. Every single day, I'm like, we have the most incredible businesses in Female Fusion, not only in the UAE, but around the world, because our membership is, is global now as well. So it's, I'm so grateful for, for you, Hazel, and for everybody else here who's come here this evening. And thank you very much. And I think we're very grateful for you, Jen. So. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you'd show us some love on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to share it with your friends. Also, feel free to let me know what other topics you'd like me to cover. You can get in touch through social media or through the website, femalefusionnetwork.com. Here's to thinking big, going big, and building the business of your dreams. <laughs>